the final two chapters of Revelation focus on heaven. And that's where Twyla is tonight, heaven. The night before he was crucified, Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms or mansions. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Jesus calls heaven a place. Heaven is as real a place as where we are right now where your home is. The Bible speaks of heaven 557 times. Heaven is a fundamental theme of the Bible. Nothing, absolutely nothing can compare to it. It's beyond our wildest imagination. We'll experience in heaven, as we've discussed in weeks earlier, new dimensions, new sights, new sounds. Ecclesiastes says that in heaven, there's no past or future we live in the eternal now. And so if you're a Christian, the moment you die, an amazing thing happens. Your last breath on earth is your first breath in heaven. You're immediately taken into eternity where there is no time, and that's where Twyla is right now. There's no past, there's no future. Consequently, everybody that she loves, including Randy and the family, are with her right now because the Lord withholds nothing that is good for those that are with him in glory. We can't wrap our little brains around that. We can't comprehend that. In weeks earlier, we've talked about Albert Einstein's theory of relativity, and we talked about the speed of light and how time slows down and all these different things. But the Bible says people will also laugh in heaven. In Luke chapter 6, verse 21, we're told of banquets and feasts and singing even more joyful than the Christmas season coming up when we'll be singing Christmas carols and, and, and in church and in the community and feasts around the banqueting Thanksgiving ta table. It will even surpass that. There'll be no more sorrow or crying or pain. The Bible says in Revelation 21 verse 4, he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain all these things are gone forever. The Bible says there'll be a glorious and total transformation of every believer. Twyla is in better shape than her son, Randy. And Randy is in excellent shape as a United States Marine non-commissioned officer. But she can take him hands down. She can beat him arm wrestling easy because she is in perfect health as we all will be. The Bible says in Revelation 21, 5, the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. The Bible says when we see Jesus, we shall be like him. Perfect, pure heart, incredible. The Bible says in verse 14, the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones and on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. We talked about this last week in our last study. We talked about how uh, we are grafted into Judaism as believers. There are 12 tribes of Israel, 
12 disciples. The city's measurements are all in 12. Um, and we discussed this. There are 12 foundations and 12 gates and the height and the length and the breadth of them are all the same. And, and this totals, we, we discussed last week, 1,960,000 square miles. Uh, that's just on each of the 12 floors or 12 levels of this perfect cube. And so that totals 23,520,000 square miles. And we compared that last week. If somebody could open that door, uh, maybe, uh, thank you. Uh, and, and, and that, it, it, so that it, comparing that with, with um, uh, our moon, our moon has 14,600,000 square miles, and all of Asia has 17,200,000 square miles, and so there's plenty of room for every one of us in heaven. The Bible gives us the exact dimensions of heaven. So the new Jerusalem is a perfect cube. It's exactly the same shape as the most holy place in the temple. We read in 1 Kings chapter 6. The Bible says in verse 21 of this chapter, the 12 gates were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl, and the main street was pure gold, as clear as glass. This is where we left off last week. The pearl represents God's people here in verse 21 of Revelation 21. How do we know? Well, Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 13. He told us of a story of a man who sold everything to purchase a pearl, and that's exactly what Jesus did. He gave everything he had, including his very life, to purchase us. We are valued. He can't take his eyes off of you. He loves you so much. We're like that pearl. And since a pearl is, is just nothing more than an irritating grain of sand or a tiny parasite uh, coated by this lustrous uh, nacre of an, of an oyster, uh, that even makes it more applicable because, yes, we are irritating. Uh, <laughs> there is somebody probably not too far away who say, oh yeah, I know that David Corson, he's kind of like that, or like a tiny parasite. Uh, we're irritating, irritating, we're parasitic sometimes, but God, God still robes us and covers us and makes us trophies, just like that pearl is made of, of a, a tremendous value, beginning with that one little parasite or that one irritating grain of sand. And of all his creation throughout all eternity, the angels will marvel at his grace toward us. Verse 21 talks about a main street that was pure as gold, as clear as glass. Gold, as you remember, we spoke about this, has been highly valued throughout history. We hear many advertisements on the radio, on television today, for people to invest in gold because of the great reset, the devaluation of the dollar, the coming one world economy, inflation, all these different reasons. And many people are investing in gold. And it has stood the test of time throughout all of recorded history. Gold has been highly valued, but, but it's not valued in heaven. It's considered the same as asphalt. And I gave an illustration last week of giving my wife a beautiful uh, engagement ring with a piece of asphalt on it. That's absurd. That's ridiculous. But that's what gold will be like in heaven. Oh, so you have 
you have a pot of gold in front of your house. So what? Big deal. You know, it's just like asphalt here. So whatever we value most on earth will be as common as asphalt in comparison to the glory of the new Jerusalem. Well, finally, the Bible says, beginning in verse 22 to the end of the chapter, verse 22, Revelation 21, I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day, because there is no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry or, and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. What a fantastic place heaven will be. Some people make Christianity complicated, but, but, but that's, that's not what the Bible says. Nine simple words is all it took for a death row criminal to enter paradise. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You remember that? One of the criminals on, hanging on that cross next to Jesus, Luke chapter 23. But there's an even simpler uh, message than that. Peter said the same thing, but only in three words. Lord, save me. Matthew chapter 14, verse 30. But it's even simpler than that. John said only one word is needed to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Lord, Lord. And so the question for us is, the question for you as you're watching tonight is, is Jesus Christ your Lord? Many people believe in Jesus. Many people celebrate his birth, coming up Christmas, celebrate his resurrection, Easter, but Jesus Christ is not their Lord. Therefore, their names are not written in the book of life. But remember, the good news, no matter how far you've walked away from him, the return trip is only one step. That's all it takes. It's better to end life with nothing but Christ than to end life with everything but Christ. Now, some people say us Christians are so heavenly minded, we're, we're no earthly good. But I say, unless we are heavenly minded, we won't be any earthly good. People are looking for answers. They're becoming disillusioned with politics, disillusioned with higher education, disillusioned with the, their financial nest egg that they see dwindling away. So may God help us to be heavenly minded, inviting as many people as we can to our incredible, indescribable, incomprehensible forever home in heaven. Whew. Chapter 22, the final chapter. Are you ready? Okay, let's read it. Chapter 22 of Revelation beginning in verse 1. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew the, a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nation. Verse 3. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, 
For the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads, and there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. Verse 6, Then the angel said to me, Everything you have heard and seen is trustworthy and true. The Lord God, who inspires his prophets, has sent his angel to tell his servants uh, what will happen soon. Verse 7, look, I am coming soon. This is Jesus speaking. Blessed are those who obey the words of prophecy written in this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw all these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said, no, don't worship me. I am a servant of God, just like you and your brothers, the prophets, as well as all who obey what is written in the book. This book, worship only God. Then he instructed me, do not seal up the prophetic words in this book for the time is near. Let the one who is doing harm continue to do harm. Let the one who is vile continue to be vile. Let the one who is righteous continue to live righteously. Let the one who is holy continue to be holy. Verse 12, look, once again, this is Jesus speaking. Look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. Verse 15, outside the city are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idol worshipers, and all who love to live a lie. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. I am both the source of David and the heir to his throne. I am the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. And I solemnly declare to everyone who hears the words of prophecy written in this book, if anyone adds anything to what is written here, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. Verse 19, and if, anybody, if anyone removes any of the words from this book of prophecy, God will remove that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city that are described in this book. Verse 20, he who, is, he who is the faithful witness to all these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. May the grace of our Lord Jesus be with God's holy people. The end. But is it really the end? 
or is it the beginning? The Bible says when Jesus returns to earth, his feet will touch down on the Mount of Olives. How do we know? Zechariah 14, the Bible tells us so. A few months ago, Robin and I were with a group of people from this church and a few other churches in Israel, and we went to the top of the Mount of Olives, and we studied this very passage. We learned that this event, when Jesus' feet touched down on the literal Mount of Olives, where it is right now, just outside Jerusalem today, when that happens, there will be a radical topographical change in Israel that will impact the entire planet. This event will cause the Mount of Olives to split in two from the north to the south, and the Bible says that this will cause a river to flow to both the Dead Sea, which is south of Jerusalem, continuing on to the Mediterranean Sea, which is at the very tip, southern tip, of Israel. And this infusion of fresh water into the Dead Sea will cause the Dead Sea to come back to life. Now, the Dead Sea is aptly named the Dead Sea because it is dead. We floated in the Dead Sea. Maybe you saw the yearbook that people brought back from Israel with pictures of all of us floating in the Dead Sea. The salinity and the alkyne content and the minerals content is so high. As a, as a person, you just float on the top like a beach ball. Impossible to drown in the Dead Sea. You barely even get wet in the Dead Sea. Nothing lives in it because the river, the Jordan River flows into it, rich beautiful Jordan River where Jesus was baptized, but nothing flows out. Consequently, it's dead. Taking in, taking in, taking in, but never giving out. But we have learned that in recent years, just the last couple of years, in fact, there have been pockets, little pockets of fresh water that are bubbling up into the Dead Sea. Oh, they're very small, very, very small, rather insignificant, but in those little pockets of fresh water are little tiny fish. Little tiny fish in those little pockets surrounded by this vast salty sea where nothing could live. That is just a harbinger of that which is to come. So the Bible says a prosperous fishing industry is going to thrive around the Dead Sea when this Mount of Olives splits in two, all this fresh water gushes in to the Dead Sea, and during the final days of planet Earth, there will be a major fishing industry all around the Dead Sea. Inside the walls of this glistening and heavenly city, John describes what we might call Main Street. When I think of Main Street, I think of Main Street Disneyland, or Main Street Disney World. You know, just the quintessential Main Street. We have beautiful villages, small towns here in Colorado, uh, where the, the Main Street is just so classic. In the middle of the city is the throne of God and of the Lamb, verse 1 of this chapter. From the throne flowed the water of life. So out of the throne comes the water of life. It's as clear as crystal, the Bible says, and it flows right down the middle of the street, and the Bible says on each side of the river grew a tree of life. Not a forest, not an orchard, 
but a tree on each side of the river. How could this be? Remember, heaven is a different dimension, different realm. Things that we can't begin to imagine, we'll be amazed at. It could be said that the Bible is an account of three trees. Could be said. First, you remember the tree of life. This tree was seen at the beginning of human history, and it will be seen in heaven again. And it will be seen at the, at the end of human history. It was originally planted, as you know, in the Garden of Eden, and it will be transplanted into the garden-like city of the new Jerusalem, and we're going to eat freely from this tree of life in the New Jerusalem. That's the first tree. Second, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This was the only tree you Bible students know Adam and Eve were not to eat. They could eat of every other tree except this tree. But, 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 but when they did eat and disobeyed and ate of the forbidden tree, death and damnation were the result. So the question comes, why? Why would God plant a forbidden tree in the garden in the first place? Why not just leave that tree out? Well, it all comes down to one word, choice. Choice. True love demands a choice. I truly love my wife, Robin. But she had a choice not to love me. After all, I wasn't the first one who had a crush on Robin. I wasn't her first date. I wasn't the first one who got up enough nerve to ask her to marry him. But she had a choice. And she said, no. Praise God from all from whom all blessings flow. She said no to all her other would-be suitors. And so, when I asked Robin to marry me in a hot air balloon, high above San Diego, with an umbrella in one hand, just in case, she said no, and I would be like Mary Poppins bailing out. She said yes. She had a choice. True love demands a choice. And since God is love and wants a loving relationship with us, he provided us, all of humanity, an opportunity to accept his love, to say yes, or to reject him. The choice is ours. God's will is that every man, woman, every child, every single baby ever born since Adam and Eve would spend eternity with him in heaven. That is God's will. But he loves us so much, he gave us a choice. He didn't demand that we come. He didn't force us to come. He said, the choice is yours. He provided an opportunity to reject him. So, before they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, Adam and Eve knew only good. That's all, they, that's all they knew. How cool is that? And if they had a question, 
all they had to do is just say, God, I have a question. And God would give them the answer. I love it. God wanted to bless him. He wants to bless us. Not that we're all going to be rich. Not that we're all going to be without pain. In fact, Jesus said, if any man comes after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Being a Christian is not a life of ease. It's a life of sacrifice. It's a life of saying no to selfish desire. But when they ate of this tree, they knew good and evil apart from God. They became independent from God. They didn't need him anymore, and they cut off all the resources they had, and they cut off the blessings from their creator. The third tree, as you know, is the tree of Calvary. The tree that cleanses my sins and covers my mistakes. Likewise, may we turn away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, from what we think we know, and may we feast on the tree of life. When we get to heaven, when we get to heaven, we won't see the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It is banished. It is gone. Hallelujah. We'll only see the tree of life. And from this tree, we're going to enjoy the fruit that will keep us in perfect health and in complete harmony with the one who gave his life for us on the tree of Calvary. So how could a tree grow on each side of the river? Remember, our understanding is finite. We're bound by the current laws of physics. Current dimensions are limited, but that day is coming when we will fully understand what even the most brilliant of scientists and theologians can't even begin to imagine. We'll marvel at an incredible, at the incredible and unlimited dimensions in, the, in a new universe that God is creating. The Bible says this tree in verse two, bore 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month the leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations, in verse 2. <coughs> the Bible says this tree of life is a fruit-bearing tree like no other. It bears 12 crops of fruit, a different crop every month. Amazing. You know, kind of a Heinz 57 variety type tree. I love it. But if the leaves are for healing, does that mean there's going to be sickness in heaven? Absolutely not. Absolutely. The Greek word here translated heal is literally therapia. Therapia. Does that sound familiar? We get our English word therapy from this word. It doesn't mean healing from sickness, but rather the maintaining of perfect health. The original language also implies acceleration and invigoration. We'll be exhilarated. We'll be invigorated every day. We're not going to wake up tired. We won't need a nap. In fact, we won't need to even sleep at all. Now I love my naps when I can get them. I love them. 
Why? Because I'm tired. But we won't be tired. We'll be exhilarated. We'll be invigorated. Do you remember after his resurrection, our Lord Jesus Christ, he ate. Remember that? He met with his disciples and he ate. We read about that in uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 37. Um, and, and then he walked through the wall. And I guess the food went with him. So there was some kind of a miraculous transformation even of the food that went there. Likewise, we'll be eating the fruits of this amazing 12 fruit bearing tree in heaven. And it will be an act of worship. I love it. I get to sit down and eat as much as I want. Oh, I'm worshiping. Oh, I'm really into worship. And we're going to be feasting and worshiping. So what will happen when we see his face? Verse four. I'm glad you asked. The Bible says, like David, we'll be truly satisfied in every way. Twyla Stevens is truly satisfied in every way. One week ago tonight, we were praying that God's will would be done and that she would sense his presence. Well, God's will has been done. And Twyla did sense his presence with her, but now she is in his presence, no longer just sensing his presence, but invigorated, exhilarated, rejoicing, discovering, learning, and celebrating his presence. The Bible says there will be no need for the sun because warmth and illumination come from the sun. No need for the S-U-N because warmth and illumination comes from the S-O-N, the Son of Jesus Christ. Verse 5, this glorious garden city where the pure river flows through the 12 fruit bearing tree isn't too good to be true. It sounds like it. It sounds like the stuff of fantasy. Hollywood couldn't, they couldn't come up with something like this. Nobody would believe them, but it is true. It is true. And it's closer than ever before. How do we know? The Bible tells us so in verse six. But, but, but is this really going to happen soon? We're going to focus on that tonight. Verse six. Now you Bible students, you remember that this was written over 2,000 years ago. And it's important to remember that these things wouldn't necessarily happen in John's day, which was a horrendous chapter in the history of the church. We spoke about that at length, the martyrs, the tortures, and all of those, the, the, the people that gave their lives for the cause of the gospel. But, but it does mean that once, and hang with me here tonight, listen, once the end time events begin, they will rapidly accelerate. It's like getting into the car, closing the door, putting on the seatbelt, starting the engine, slowly backing out of the parking place or driveway or whatever, and then there's the interstate. And throttle down, shifting rapidly from first to second to third to fourth, how many gears you have in your car. And before you know it, you're up to 25 miles an hour. If you have a car like mine, no, <laughs> you're, you're, you're up to freeway speed. And if you have a fast car, 
you're exceeding the speed limit. It happens quickly. So tonight, let's quickly examine recent events in Israel, Europe, and China. I have withheld this throughout this whole study as we've gone through the book of Revelation, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And now, the last class session in the final chapter of Revelation, we're going to take a look at three major events that are unfolding right now. First, let's begin with Israel. As you know, serious violence broke out at the Temple Mount in Jerusalem during the Passover, which happened this year, as you know, to coincide with Easter and Ramadan. This was followed by an exchange of rockets between Hamas and Israel. And we spoke about the terrorist organization Hamas. But did you know the Jerusalem Post, by far the largest newspaper in all of Israel, respected publication, recently published an article with the headline, and I quote, when blood spills on the Passover and Easter, it's time to build the temple. That was the headline of the very secular, somewhat liberal, Jerusalem Post newspaper. But is it true? Has the time come right now to build the third temple? Well, as you know, if you've been following prophecy in the last several weeks, a major prophetic event just happened since we started this class. A group of Western Christians known as Bona Israel has been working with officials from the Temple Institute to search for a perfect red heifer. Robin and I have been to the Temple Institute in Jerusalem numerous times. We led our group to the Temple Institute. This is not a place where the instruments of worship are made in the exact ways that the Bible describes in the book of Leviticus. They are the implements and they have been completed. Everything is ready for the temple. We saw the actual utensils of worship for the new temple in Jerusalem. Why? Why is a red heifer necessary? Well, a red heifer is necessary if temple sacrifices are to be reinstituted. All the equipment is there. All the tools are there. The clothing for the priests is finished. Everything is ready. But the sacrifice can't happen until there is the perfect red heifer. One hasn't been seen in Israel, a perfect red, red heifer, as described in the Bible, in the book of Leviticus, for more than 2,000 years. For a long time, the search for this perfect red heifer seemed to be going nowhere. People said, it will never be found again. That was for the Old Testament. We now live in the time of the New Testament. It will never take place, but, but, all of that in the last several weeks has changed. On September 15th of this year, 
five perfect red heifers from the United States landed at the Ben-Gurion Airport, where Robin and I lead our teams. We land at the Ben-Gurion Airport. This time, though, instead of 40 Bible students on a study tour of Israel, there were five red heifers. The official website of the Temple Institute reported, and I quote, on Thursday, September 15th, 2022, at 5 p.m., five perfect, unblemished red heifers arrived in Israel from the USA. A ceremony was held at the Ben-Gurion Airport where the new arrivals were greeted and speeches were made. I don't know if the red heifers understood the speeches or even appreciated the speeches, but they were made. I continue, quote, it's difficult to overstate the prophetic importance of this event. The ashes of a red heifer are required before temple sacrifices can be resumed in Jerusalem, end of quote. And if you want to read more about that, Numbers chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Now, some ancient practices of temple worship could be resumed even before a new temple is constructed, now that they have these red heifers. So what about the red heifer? Well, according to rabbis and leaders in the Orthodox community, the highest of the rabbis, these heifers could be used to reinstate many of the practices of the Jewish temple in Jerusalem even before the third temple is rebuilt. It theoretically could take place today. A tabernacle could be set up during the time that the new temple is being rebuilt. That is in keeping with Levitical law. And that is what the Temple Institute has reported. So the stage is being set for the time when the Antichrist will step in and cause sacrifices to cease halfway through the tribulation period. We discussed that in detail. And if you don't remember and you're watching online, go back a few lessons or contact theorchardlife.com and we'll send you the complete set of notes. The reason why this has been so difficult to locate an acceptable red heifer is because the requirements of this particular heifer are so very, very strict. First of all, an acceptable red heifer has to be completely unblemished. Here in the United States, in fact, in the Western world, we tag the ears of calves when they are born. Um, and, and is that right? We, we tag the ears of calves when they're born? Is that right? Bonnie's our expert cowgirl here, so I have to check with her. Is that true, Bonnie? Okay, good. And the tagging thus creates a blemish that is unacceptable for the Orthodox, Jewish Orthodox rabbis. Fortunately, there was a rancher at Bonnie's Ranch, no, no, not at Bonnie's Ranch, a, that's, a rancher in Texas that was aware of this requirement and he did not tag the ears of his calves when these very rare red heifers were born. In addition, according to Jewish tradition, more than two, uh, more 
then two non-red hairs would disqualify a calf. It could be black, it could be brown, it could be white, it could be gray, any color. Just two hairs anywhere, anywhere on the body of that heifer would cause it to be disqualified. There have been times when a calf is born 100% red, a perfect red heifer, but then develops a black or white hair, maybe just one or two as it grows older, and that's a problem. It's disqualified. So to determine whether a heifer is acceptable or not, rabbis literally go over every inch of each heifer, literally with these great big magnifying glasses, hair at a time, every hair on the body of each heifer. There are other requirements as well. The red heifers that were delivered to Israel are all between five and eight months old when they were delivered. According to Jewish tradition, they must be exactly two years and one day old to be used in a red heifer ceremony. These heifers, when they were delivered last month, were between five and eight months old. They have to be exactly two years and one day old. They know exactly the day they were born. This means the clock is ticking. It will be sometime in 2024 when these five red heifers each reach that key age. And they must be used then or they won't be able to be used at all. This means that it's very likely that we'll actually see a red heifer ceremony in Israel in 2024 for the first time in more than 2,000 years. The clock is ticking. These red heifers arrived in Israel just as Jewish leaders are preparing for the beginning of a new Shemitah cycle. You may have read about the Shemitah cycle. It's been in the news a lot. According to Jewish tradition, a new seven-year Shemitah cycle started at sundown on September 26th of this year. At that moment, literally the entire nation of Israel was shut down as Rosh Hashanah began. When Robin and I and a group from this church were in Israel at Holocaust Day, we were driving to a particular site, all of us in one bus, and the bus came to a stop. All the traffic came to a stop. Everybody in the nation came to a stop, right in the middle of the freeway. Everything stopped, all roads stopped, all businesses shut down, everything shut down. We've seen it with our own eyes. People got out of their cars, almost all of them, but everything stopped and they stood at attention just to remember Jewish Remembrance Day. This is a much higher holy holiday that is coming. In addition, many archaeologists and Jewish scholars believe the Ark of the Covenant has been silently waiting under Jerusalem all these years. Oh, Indiana Jones and the Ark of the Covenant. Well, I don't know where it is, but God's timing is perfect. And he is going to withhold any discovery 
of the Ark of the Covenant until he is ready, lest people worship the Ark of the Covenant. We described that in detail. You can go back and get review your notes or review a video prior to this on the importance of the Ark of the Covenant, what it looks like, how big it is, the exact measurements, what it contains, and so forth. That, when that is announced, if in fact it is underneath the city walls, the old city walls of Jerusalem today, it will accelerate the need for either a tabernacle or a temple to house it. So earlier today, just today, this is what you wanna know how I've been spending my last few days, how I spent all day today. During Israel's national election held today, tensions rose on the Temple Mount. Israeli officials are anticipating that there will be, a, be more violence as the votes are counted. A leading security official from Israel's National Security Council said the Hamas terrorist group has strengthened its foothold in Jerusalem. And they'll attempt to spark a major conflict on the Temple Mount, which could escalate into a wide-scale conflict, possibly engulfing much of Israel. I quote, There are constant efforts by Hamas and other terror groups to escalate tensions and create a narrative that the Al-Aska Mosque, that's the mosque located on the Temple Mount, is in danger and to turn Jerusalem into an explosive detonator. Eyal Hulata, the head of the NSC, said earlier. Hulata's warning comes after Israeli intelligence officials and officers recommended that Prime Minister Yair Lapid raise the country's, the country's terror level to the highest level possible. This is happening before our very eyes. This is not 2,000 years ago. This is not 40 years ago. It's today, literally today. So much is happening all at once. And I believe that many, many prophecies will now start to be fulfilled in rapid succession. We've walked out of the house, opened the car door, sat down, put on our seatbelt, turned the engine, pulled out of the driveway, now we're in first gear and get ready because we're putting metal to the we're putting the pedal to the metal we're accelerating rapidly let's go to europe very quickly since we have limited time in europe you probably followed this news nbc news recently reported in and i quote in great britain over 1600 people have chosen to implant a, a chip into their hands that allows them to pay for items with the wave of their hands. This is just in the UK. The, the article went on to describe a 40-year-old uh, gentleman, a father of two from West London, and he said, and I quote, using the chip takes a bit of learning. It's like a normal credit card, but you have to be more precise with where you tap your hand. It means I don't have to keep a wallet with me all the time. Isn't that wonderful? Nobody can steal my wallet. If I'm at the beach and I leave my wallet on the sand to go surfing, I don't need to worry if it'll be there when I come back. I don't need to worry about pickpockets. It's heralded as the latest and greatest technological event. Already, this technology expanding is expanding to things such as digital ID, including passports, 
driver's licenses. Chips are being made by a British-Polish company, a startup company, is called Wallet More. Nice name, Wallet More. And the implant placed just under the skin, very tiny, has a tiny, tiny little antenna encased in plastic that is compatible with the human body, uh, has a microprocessor, and is directly linked to your credit cards, your bank accounts, your savings account, basically your life. That means the implant that can be used can be used almost anywhere in the world that a credit card is accepted. Now I've worked in over 70 countries around the world in missions. Robin and I have traveled to many dozens of countries and we always take our credit, credit card because in virtually any city in the, in the nation, in the, in the world, credit cards are accepted. In small towns are accepted. It's not until we get deep into the jungles of Vanuatu or high up in the border of Tibet and Nepal, way high up in the Himalaya, Himalayas, that you can't use a credit card because there are no banks, there's no money, uh, there, there's no commerce at, at whatsoever. But this firm says that it now plans to expand to the Middle East and they love it. They can't wait to get it. Mr. Wojcik Paprota, the CEO of Walletmore, says, and I quote, from now on, the sale of implants, which we now count in the thousands, will be a clear signal to the market that our startup is just accelerating. And they expect business to grow 20-fold, over 20-fold, in the next seven months. A 2021 survey conducted in the European Union and the United Kingdom found that at least 51% of people will consider having a chip implanted in their body right now. Right now. It's not somebody like the old Christian movies forcing you at gunpoint to put a tattoo on your forehead or on your wrist or your head's going to be cut off with a guillotine that's placed right outside the church. No, people want it. They're looking forward to it. They're clamoring for it. Sweden is even ahead of the UK and ahead of Europe. It's been rapidly expanding the use of microchip technology for quite a while with tens of thousands already microchipped, already. No cash accepted signs are now the norm in shops across Sweden. Have you been there lately? You've seen it for yourself. Payments are all digital. Many Swedes want to take it to the next level as they blend this high tech with the human body. It's exploding in Sweden right now. Microchip implants that give people the ability to conduct financial transactions, monitor their health, including their complete medical history, vaccination. Oh, have you been vaxxed? Have you really been vaxxed? Can't get away with it anymore. They'll replace key cards, which will allow people to enter offices, buildings, and their homes. This is all the new rage. People are clamoring for it. They're wanting it. Big Brother's not forcing it. People want this. Thousands have already been implanted. The coming economic reset. And you've heard a lot about that. 
worldwide, this global economic reset will pave the way to merge digital currencies with microchip implants in an entirely new economic system. How do we know? The Bible tells us so. It's not a secret to us. The Bible says in the last days there will be a one world government and a one world currency and anyone that does not have the mark, whatever that is, whether it's an implanted chip, an invisible tattoo or something else on their hand, which they are right now, in their forehead, will be unable to buy or sell or conduct any commerce whatsoever. The World Economic Forum, one of the pillars of the United Nations, has already expressed support for this idea. Many technological experts believe this is the next logical step in a, digitally, in a digital society, people that are quite happy to give up privacy for convenience. Has anybody forced you to join Facebook, PayPal, LinkedIn, TikTok, or any of these other social media sites? There's dozens and dozens. People are willingly giving this information up. They want to. Finally, the time allows us to go on to China. Did you listen to Chinese President Xi Jinping's report to the National People's Congress last month. I'm sure you all did. I'm sure you rushed home from work, couldn't wait to turn on the radio or the television to listen to President Xi Jinping give a report to the National People's Congress of China. Well, I did listen to it. Not live, but I listened to it because Rob and I have been in Tiananmen Square with Bible college students studying the end times, studying what the Bible says, and President Xi told the world on October 16th that the international outlook is grim. He's, a, he's secured an unprecedented third term as the Communist Party's general secretary. It's never happened before in all of Chinese history. He's packed the Politburo with loyalists. The National People's Congress confirmed, and I quote, Xi is, Xi is pushing the region and the world toward war. And we are now far closer to conflict than ever before. That includes the notorious war with Japan. That includes World War II. End of quote. A Chinese spy chief, did you know this? He, he joined the, the Chinese Communist Party's top ranks for the first time. He's the highest level of government, a spy. Xi is assembling a team to go to war. There's no question about it. In his opening speech, speech, Xi warned of dangerous storms, quote unquote, ahead. The Chinese central government declared in its report to the National People's Congress, the Taiwan problem, quote unquote, will not be passed down from one generation to the next. This caught my attention because Rob and I have been to Taiwan numerous times. We have friends in Taiwan, and Xi has made the destruction of the island's democracy, you know, Taiwan just off the coast of China, has made the destruction of the island's democracy a test of his legitimacy. In his speech, 
Xi declared, and I quote, complete reunification of our country must be realized and will be realized, end of quote. He is not kidding. His reputation, his legacy is on the line. Meanwhile, many U.S. military planners, including General Mark Miley, you've probably heard of him here in the United States, have assumed an attack on Taiwan from China will not come any sooner than the year 2027. Maybe they're wrong. The U.S. Chief, or maybe he's wrong, the U.S. Chief of Naval Operations, Admiral Mike Gilday, testified recently before Congress, Beijing has carried out everything it's promised. Everything. And he further warned China could invade Taiwan within one year. In fact, he expects it. China scholar Gordon Chang recently reported to U.S. congressional leaders, Xi has changed the Chinese regime so that he can do what he wants to do. He's pushed China in a far more belligerent direction because he's empowered the most hostile and combative elements in the country. Chang testified he desperately needs a win. And he said he's, making, uh, he's made Taiwan his critical test. Keep your eyes on Taiwan. So, in the few minutes that remains tonight, few minutes, but I am going to ask your permission to go a few minutes longer, may I? So we can finish the chapter. So we see we're on our way. Do you remember the Bible says to our Lord, one thousand years is as a day. Remember that? Second Peter chapter three. So we're back to our notes now, if you want to follow along with the notes. So according to his timetable, he's only been gone two days. A thousand years as a day. He's only been gone two days. Hey, don't worry about it. I'm in control. I've only, I've only been away for two days. Do you remember after John fell down to worship an angel, the angel said to John, no, don't worship me. I'm a servant of God just like you and your brothers and sisters who testify their faith, about their faith in Jesus in Revelation 19.10. Remember that? Well, so here we are again in the last chapter of Revelation. How could John worship an angel that we just read about here in verse 9? The same way that we make the same mistakes and commit the same sins over and over and over again. Well, maybe you don't, but I sure do. Over and over again, I say, oh, Lord, I did it again. Oh, God, I did it again and again and again. But the good news, the good news about Jesus is that he completely obliterates every trace and every memory of sin to God. God remembers our sin no more. We can't forget certain sins, but the Bible says in Hebrews 8, 12, God says, I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. God knows everything, but he doesn't remember our sins. Amazing. So the Bible says, the angel told John, do not seal up the prophetic words of this book, for the time is near. Verse 10. Some people think the book of Revelation is hard to understand and it should be kept closed. Maybe you grew up in a church like that. 
Maybe the pastor never taught from the book of Revelation. Just the opposite should be true. If we follow the divine outline given back in Revelation chapter 1, we talked about it, verse 19, this book is to be kept open. This book has a unique blessing. It's the only book in the Bible that promises a blessing to all who simply read it, not understand it all. None of us are going to understand all of it. But if we just read it, if we even hear it being read, we are promised a blessing. So, my friends, keep the book open. Tonight is the last night of this study on the book of Revelation, but keep the book open. Keep reading it. The Bible says God blesses the ones who reads the word of the prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obeys what it says, for the end time is near. So remember the divine outline given in Revelation 1.19. It's there in your notes. Chapter 1, Jesus is resurrected. Chapters 2 and 3 talks about church history. Chapters 4 and 5 talks about the rapture. Chapters 6 through 19 talk about the tribulation. Chapter 20, the millennium. And chapters 21 and 22, the new heaven and the new earth. The Bible says if you can't be convinced of the truth of the word of God by the revelation of Jesus Christ and the fulfilling of Bible prophecy, what could possibly convince you? Verse 11, my heart aches. The number of people that I personally know, people that I call friends, that say, oh, I believe in Jesus. I, I, I've gone to church. Uh, sometimes I go. Oh, I believe in Easter. Oh, I, I believe in the Bible. It's good. But, but my faith is personal. It's something we just don't discuss. We don't talk. It's kind of like politics. We just don't talk about it. If you can't be convinced, and he is not Lord of your life, verse 11 is saying there's nothing that's going to convince you. Jesus said, look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. Verse 12. Disciples of Jesus Christ will receive their reward of eternal life with him in heaven. That is a promise. But, but those who are not disciples, disciples of Christ, where Jesus is their Lord, will receive their reward of eternal torment in hell. It's not complicated. It's a matter of choice. The word dogs in verse 15 refers to the legalists. How do we know? Philippians chapter 3, verse 2. And the word sorcerers literally is um, drug takers. In, in verse 15, Jesus said, I am both the source of David and the heir to his throne. In verse 16, how could this be? Well, as the babe of Bethlehem, Jesus was the heir to David. But, but, but as the Christ of eternity, he existed before David. Christmas is coming up. But Jesus did not come into existence on that Christmas morn. He existed before the foundation of the universe. He spoke the world and the universe into existence. How do we know? The Bible tells us so. So the invitation to come to Christ is given to a world that's lost and dying 
doomed and damned. Verse 17. It's not our work. The pressure is off. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to bring people to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit never draws attention to himself. Beware of those that are always talking about the Holy Spirit, always seeking the Holy Spirit, always bringing attention to the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit is singular, and that is to draw people to Jesus Christ, to point people to Jesus. Keep that in mind. But we have the privilege of issuing the invitation. We're not the ones who convict people of their need for the Lord. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. But we get to bring and issue the invitation. Throughout the Bible, come has always been the invitation. The Bible says, come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them white as wool, Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah also said, is anyone thirsty? Come and drink, in chapter 55. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. In Matthew chapter 11, John in chapter 1 said, come and see. The last phrase in the Old Testament is, and I quote from Malachi chapter 4 verse 6, otherwise I will come and strike the land with a curse. That's how the Old Testament ends. That's it. The end of the Old Testament. That's the law. But, but the last phrase in the New Testament is, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's holy people. Verse 21. I love it. Grace. Grace is the final word of the New Testament. So, thanks for staying a few minutes later tonight. We're about six minutes over. Thank you. Thanks for watching online to the very end. Grace, the final word of the New Testament. Let's seek his kingdom and his righteousness as we love God and love people. Videos of every teaching session of this class, once again, are available at theorchardlife.com. Study notes are also available by emailing ellen at office at theorchardlife.com or giving her a call at 970, here in the United States, 970-963-8773. Robin and I thank God for you. You, you are our friends. You are our ohana. Oop, Hawaiian word, sorry. You are our family. You're our brothers and our sisters. We thank God for you. It's been an interesting journey as we've read every single verse of every single chapter of the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
We have learned with you. We have grown with you. And we have grown a little bit deeper in love with this body of believers and with you. We hope that you've been blessed. And we hope that you continue to be blessed as you keep the book open, as you continue reading through the book of Revelation. Please feel free to contact me, to email me at Corson Maui, Corson Maui, M-A-U-I, at msn.com. I'll be speaking next month in Oregon, but I'd love to come and meet with your group at a home uh, or any place else. I just love teaching the Word, and I love the book of Revelation. Love God, love people. Maranatha, God bless you.